You're listening to the Banner Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. For more information, visit us online at thebannerchurch.com. Well, happy Father's Day. How's everybody doing this morning? <laughs> hey, I, I, I'm excited for Father's Day. For Mother's Day, I wore a suit. So uh, for Father's Day, I decided I would wear whatever I wanted uh, because it's Father's Day and it's my day. I mean, it's the day the Lord has made, but I will rejoice and be glad in it. Um, so I wore football jersey and light wash denim because nothing screams dad like that. Um, but I just want to say hey, a, a special welcome this morning to all the dads. Uh, I'm, we're thankful for you. We're glad you're here. All of those people who are uh, not only physically, you know, fathers, but also just spiritual fathers and mentors and guiders uh, to everybody. We're so thankful for you. And so this week you might have seen, uh, if you get our emails or follow us on social media, um, or any combination of any of those things or have attended church, uh, we've been looking for the best dad jokes. So here's what we're going to do. I have a couple of Bass Pro Shop gift cards because dads. And, uh, and I'm going to read these jokes, and then we're going to vote on our top two favorites. Are we good with that? Okay, so these are, are we good with that? All right. I know we just came out of like this intimate moment, but we're going to get excited. Um, so I'm going to read these no names, and I'll tell the names later because I don't want you to be biased. And some of you uh, wives, when you hear this, you're going to be like, yeah, that's his. I know that one. Um, that one has been used extensively. So some of you, this might be putting the joke into retirement. But you know what, dads? There's no shame in the dad joke game. Just keep it strong. Your kids will eventually love it. Um, but here we go. Are we ready for the first one? All right. When do you know it's a dad joke? When it's a parent. All right. Number one. Why can't you hear a pterodactyl go to the bathroom? Because the P is silent. Good. <laughs> All right. That was number two. Okay. Why do ducks have feathers? To hide their butt quacks. <laughs> number three. Okay, keep that. Number three. That was good. What did the mama tomato say to the baby tomato? Catch up. Good. All right. I like this one. See, like all the, see, I'm laughing inside because I'm a dad. Um, if a dad joke doesn't make you go, oh my gosh, it's not good. Um, all right. How do you make an egg roll? You push it. All right. Uh, this was submitted on behalf of a dad. He'll get credit for it. Is why don't you tell a kleptomaniac a joke? Because they'll take it, literally. All right, some of you, that's going to take some time. You'll get it about 1 o'clock, and then you'll laugh. <laughs> it's fine. It's early. <laughs> you didn't go to the cafe. You didn't get your caffeine. Later, you'll be like, ah, man, that, that ministered to me. All right, here's this one. This one, you know, I, I might be biased. I, I like this one. Here we go. Why do they never serve beer at a math party? Because you can't drink and derive. <laughs> Derivations, deriving, yeah. People are like, I haven't done math in 12 years. <laughs> I'll explain it later. Um, all right, and last one. How do you make holy water? You boil the hell out of it. <laughs> that one's good. <laughs> I like that one. All right, so... We're going to do this by a round of applause. Um, uh, the, first, the first two are mi familia, so we, we won't win. My dad put one in. He said, I'll give you one, but you can't let me win. And then the pterodactyl P one's mine. So, uh, <laughs> so we're going to go with the others here. Um, okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say the joke again. And when I say it, you cheer how loud based on it, you know, which one you like. Okay, good? All right. Why do ducks have feathers to hide their butt quacks? What do you think? That one's pretty high. Okay. Uh, I'm going to, let's see. Uh, I'm going to pick what I think are the top three based off applause. Good? Why do they never serve beer at a math party? Because you can't drink and derive. Okay. How do you make holy water? You boil the hell out of it. Okay, so I think by round of applause, butt quacks and holy water made it, right? All right. 
So, Jake, where are you, brother? This one's for you. That you are the butt quacks. <laughs> and holy water, you boil the hell out of it. Dave, all right, you guys are right next to each other. There you go. Awesome, awesome. Well, we appreciate you. In fact, we, we have a gift for you. I think our kids are back here, maybe. Knock twice if there's children. All right, good. Um, hey, if you're a dad in here or a spiritual father or just like a really dope uncle, would you stand? We want to applaud you, celebrate you, and have our kids bring stuff for you. So go ahead and stand up. All right, come on. Good job, Lucy. Yeah, right. <laughs> that was champion level. That's all I wanted to see today was just some kid wing them. Yes, I'm so proud of you. Good job. You're a dad now. If you get one of these, you have about five or six months, and you have to have a child, apparently, if you're not a dad already. It's part of the deal, so just, you know, take it seriously. You threw so hard, you kicked a shoe. I love it. Get it right. Yeah. All right. Go ahead. Keep tossing him. Keep tossing him right here. Right. Right there. Right there. He's got it. He's got the arm. Here it is. Ready? One, two, three. Woo. All right. That one's mine. Does anyone not have, anyone still need one? Felix, you got it? Who else needs it? Ty? Ty, do you got some? Do you got some, Ty? You got some? Anybody just want one? Ty again. Anyone else need some more? We have a bunch. Anyone only get one? Okay, thank you, dads. Can we give it up for our dads again? Delaney, you can leave all those up here. There you go. Yeah, uh, <laughs> my wife now cleans the building, so super don't drop the shells on the ground. <laughs> You're the best. <laughs> Thank you, Lucy. Good job. You guys. I'll have Delaney leave it up here if you feel a burning desire to get some sunflower seeds or peanuts. I don't need 800 of these. You can't buy them in small amounts. Um, so come and get some because they're good and snag as many as you want and uh, just get wild. <laughs> Whew. How's everybody doing? Still good? Still with me? All right. I think like Father's Day is a healthy balance of absolute chaos and then like the moment of peace and rest we can find. It's a lot like fatherhood, right? It's like balancing complete chaos and uh, any kind of moment of peace. And so my hope for you dads today is that you can uh, find a moment of rest, that you can be encouraged uh, in that rest, and really to rest in the spirit. And uh, so today we're starting our series called Summer Soundtrack. And uh, it, we're going to be going through the Psalms together, uh, looking at a few Psalms that really speak to uh, how, how we live and, and how we pursue the presence of God. And, and my goal this summer is that every message would really encourage your hearts and then it would speak to not only what you're receiving today, but how you're, how you're able to walk out the rest of your week in the peace of God. Knowing that there's all sorts of different things we're facing. There's all sorts of different things that we're coming against. And yet I, my prayer is that the song of this summer for you would be peace and rest and joy. And so I just invite you, especially this summer in the chaos of, of things. I know people go and they travel. Twofold. One, make sure that you're automating your giving if you're going to be gone because we still have to pay for this place. But two is to make it a priority to be here when you wake up and you're a little sunburned because you're at maybe out on the lake on Saturday. Everything in you wants to not come. I want to encourage you. You will not be more encouraged than, than in the moment of being here with fellow believers and rejoicing together. So I just really encourage your heart. We just want to celebrate with you uh, this summer and rejoice with you, and it's going to be good. Um, one very, very last thing. Do I have one of those Feed One stickers sitting there? Um, we have this really, really special privilege, um, I don't know why I needed the sticker, but it helps me because I like to hold things, uh, of doing this ministry with Convoy of Hope called Feed One. So July is kind of like our pseudo-missions month. And what we're going to do on July 7th, that's just a couple days after the 4th of July, is on that Sunday, we're partnering with an organization called Feed One through Convoy of Hope, where basically we sponsor kids so that they can have food. Like, I mean, it's just fundamental, food to eat, to live. And so for 10 bucks a month, it doesn't go to us, it goes to Convoy of Hope. You can literally feed a child for a whole month for $10. <laughs> it's 
So $10. And so my goal and my prayer is that we would be able to feed 100 kids through Banner Church. We're a missions church. We're a giving church. We're a generous church. But it's always been given in. And then, and then we as the, the church body kind of give it out. This is very specifically you. You get in your hand. I give. This child eats. I give. This child eats. And, and I think it's just going to be special. So we're going to have a special guest speaker named Chris Songskin who's flying out for free. We, could, we couldn't afford to actually fly him in. He's coming to, to bless us. And as, a, as just a ministry to our church, it's fantastic. And so uh, I encourage you, man, if you can get here, if you can, can be a part of that, it's going to be really, really, really special. Bring your friends. Even if your friends, like, don't like church, they still might love children and helping them. So this might be a good bridge for you to say, hey, you might not feel comfortable in church, but you might feel more uncomfortable with starving children. So come and, and, and help feed a child for a month. So 10 bucks. It should be pretty cool. We excited? Good. Awesome. Uh, there's some stickers and pens. We're going to be sending out videos, all kinds of things. Uh, but again, that's July 7th. That's going to be a big, a big uh, Sunday. Um, so this morning, we're going to be in Psalm 46. If you brought your Bible, you can even start opening it now. I'm going to take knife out of my pocket. Um, but this morning, uh, you know, I, I, I was praying and preparing for Psalm 46, and, and I really enjoyed this psalm in a fresh sense, as I heard it described as the divine pick six. Uh, any football fans here this morning? Any football fans? Come on. Yeah, all right. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think the pick six is one of my favorite things in football. And I especially love it when one of the big guys randomly gets it, like it's, it like pops up and when they get it and they got to try to make it down the whole field. People are like, what's a pick six? Okay, I will explain. <laughs> pick six goes like this. When one team is on offense and they're driving down towards the field and it's even more my favorite when it's like in the, when it's like right on the one yard line unless it's the Seahawks. Um, <laughs> and one team, right, they're driving down, they're about to score, they're going to score a touchdown and the defense on the other team intercepts the ball and rather than it ending there, it continues all the way down the field. Now the defense become the offense. The oddly misshapen quarterback has to try to tackle like an actually, you know, athletic runner. And, <laughs> and it gets all the way down and they score a touchdown and turns the tide of the game, right? You, you guys know pick six. Well, sometimes it turns the tide unless you're super far behind. I don't know. You guys know it's the Cardinals. We get it. Um, but... <laughs> uh, but, but there's something about a pick six that I love because it's like the total turn of the tide, right? You know, defense wins championships. I don't know if that's still something they say. I play defense in sports, and so they told us that. I think it was to make us feel better. Um, but there's something special that happens when you have a strong defense that does what it's supposed to do and then goes on offense. Are you with me? There's something powerful about the shift in momentum where you've been on defense and you've been holding out and you've been staying strong and you've been holding fast and you've been maintaining the line and you've been, you've been making sure that you're doing everything you can to support, to protect, to guard, right, all of these things to keep the opponent from scoring against you. And then all of a sudden in a moment there's a shift of power and now you're on the offense, Right? There's like 300-pound guys in football. They get about 10 yards out, and then they do the because they're not going to run all the way. There's a shift that happens where everything changes and everything's going. And now as a fan, those are like the most exciting six seconds, right? You go from basically like, like oh, my gosh, again, like i got to watch Tom Brady score another touchdown to just total and absolute excitement. Nothing excites me more than watching Clemson pick six against Alabama and watching Nick's Nick Saban just spike a Microsoft Surface into the ground, or I guess they still use uh, they still use clipboards. Bill Belichick just absolutely like now it's the Microsoft Surface's fault that your team didn't look out for the safety. It doesn't matter. But the point is that there's just this momentum that happens when you go on offense. It, 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 it's exciting. It's fun. They make movies about it, right? Is this moment where everything shifts and everything changes. And I love that about Psalm 46 because there's a beautiful defense. There's a strong defense. It's fortified. It's secure. It's doing its job. And then in a moment, there's offense. And there's winning. And there's victory. And there's glory. And there's this kind of this twofold thing that the psalmist is getting across in Psalm 46. And if we could kind of get a hold uh, of really both things and, and the part that they play, defense and offense, I think we would be encouraged in more situations and feel empowered in more situations as well. Because we serve a God that is both defense and offense. Are you with me? 
And so we're going to read Psalm 46. Uh, I like this psalm. Uh, it's, it says, if you have a Bible like mine, it will say, to the choir master of the sons of Korah, according to Alamoth, a song. Which you're like, of course, yes, we know. <laughs> of course, Alamoth. I mean, how many Alamoths have you Alamoth today? I've done at least three or four. Um, no, <laughs> it's like total confusing. So the sons of Korah uh, are a Levitical uh, group of priests. They would be like the early temple version of a worship pastor. So the sons of Korah were sons of somebody, surprise, named Korah, who uh, sang as part of the Levitical priesthood. So this is kind of like their hymn. Are you still with me? So this is, when we talk about the Psalms, we're like, yeah, the Psalms are cool. It rhymes kind of-ish with song. Uh, but no, this is literally a song. So the Hebrews, when they would write these uh, songs, this is, this is actually Hebrew poetry. It was this really special time, and I wouldn't mind getting back to that, where warriors and kings and leaders would actually, they would come back and they would write poetry and write songs and lead worship. There was a time where, where, where the men in, in, the, in the country, in the nation of Israel, would lead the congregation and the assembly into worship. And, and this is totally detached, but you see a common uh, denominator of success and unsuccess of the nation based off of how strongly or not strongly the men of that nation lead the nation into worship. As a Western culture, we've kind of adopted this men don't sing mentality. Since the dawn of time, that's not really been a thing. Since really the dawn of time, we were created to worship. And so there's this beautiful return, I think, to this idea of declaration. Not that we're going to get up and like, oh man, now we have to get up and lead psalms. But there's something about understanding the song of God that speaks to our heart and our strength and our ability for offense and defense in our life. So I want to read this to you. But before we do, something that, that we did this morning in, in prayer and something that I want to do now is just take a moment to be still together because there's been a lot going on and just focus our intent and our heart upon God. Uh, I, I shared this in, um, in our, our prayer time, but in the early church they would call this a centering prayer. It would go on for 20 minutes. We don't have 20 minutes, but I just want to take one moment. It might be the only restful moment that you have today. And I want us just to center our, our, our hearts and our minds on Christ and, and just say, God, as I read this psalm, I focus my affection on you, I focus my attention on you, and I ask that you would speak to my heart through your word. Can we do that this morning? All right, let's just do that. I'm just going to invite us. We're just going to take a moment, be still with the Lord. God, we go in to your presence. We take intentional time with you and we center our hearts and our life in alignment with you. And our prayer is, God. Would you speak to us through your word? And we just take a moment and we're still before you. God, our prayer is that our affection and our attention might be on you, that you would speak to us, that you would encourage us, and you would renew us today through your word. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Well, hey, let's, I want to read to you Psalm 46, kind of staying in that mode of allowing the Lord to just speak to your heart through the word. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it all the way through, kind of a, as, a, as a whole song. There's three kind of uh, main sections that end with the phrase Salah, which I'll explain, where these breaks, these musical interludes. Uh, but we're going to read it together, and I'll, well, I'll read it, and you can follow the screen or read it in your Bible. It says this, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam. Though the mountains tremble at its swelling, Salah. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress, Salah. 
Come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. I love this because there's, there's these three sections that he breaks out. And, and, and it's powerful seeing the defense and seeing the offense and the shift. But the first thing that is just so abundantly clear as we read the psalmist describing God is that God is with us. God is with us. Turn to somebody next to you and say, God is with us. Turn to someone next to you on the other side and say, this morning God is with us. Come on. There we go. I love the beginning of this because God is our refuge and our strength. And the word strength here doesn't just mean muscles. It means a great force to withstand a great force. The word strength means a great force that can withstand a great force. It would be more similar to fortification than physical strength. Right? He, he is our refuge. He is our fortress. God is like a great fortification that when an enemy comes against us, they encounter, when they encounter him, they encounter a great force that is able to do battle and be in defense against a great force. See, when an when a, when a, a enemy would come against the people in this time, they, they would be in their homes or they would be in their farms and they would run into the fortress and they would run into this place and there would be big walls and there would be security and there would be, uh, there, be an army and there would be uh, uh, people stationed in, in um, archers. There is the word I'm thinking of, archers on the walls and they would defend and they would protect. See, running into strength, running into fortification is not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of wisdom. See, if you get good at getting into the right refuge, you're not weak. You're not, you know, a, a failure because you ran into refuge and you didn't just stand out there with your pitchfork in your field and fight this massive enemy. You're wise. You're smart because you ran into the refuge and the strength that could actually handle and actually fight a mighty enemy. It's wise because we know we're going to face troubles, right? So when the trouble come, we can face them alone with our strength, our pitchfork, and our field. Or we can get into the refuge, into the security, into the fortifications of God. And he says in the second part of verse 1, he's a very present help in trouble. Uh, some of your translations, it might say well-proved. Uh, it, it goes even uh, uh, deeper than well-proved. It's saying that God is enough for every trouble that you would face. The, the psalmist is telling us in this very brief phrase a few things about God. He's saying that the, the phrase translates here as he is to be found. Basically this, where there is trouble, God is to be found. Meaning not he's causing the trouble and therefore you're like, ah, you trickster. You know, <laughs> but that God is, is to be found when in the midst of trouble. See, it's more than just God is reliable. It's that he's to be found in the middle of when I face trouble. And it says in verse 2 or 3, right, the mountains are going to crumble into the sea. The earth shakes. I'm sure we have all lived in, and some of you more than others have lived in, in states or are currently in states where it feels like the ground underneath you is actually shaking, right? It's like you, people are like, come on, man, stand up, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Like, I can't even just make it on my feet. Like, everything is moving. Like, I don't even know where the straps are to pull up. And, and so he says there's going to be trouble. There's going to be things going on. And, and yet in that moment, God is there. Follow me because this is, this is so important. Trouble is usually the last place we expect to find God. We usually expect that we're in a storm, like a hurricane. Picture a hurricane all around me. And then outside on some sandy beach is God. And if I could just get him to hear me out there, then he would reach into my hurricane and pull me out to his sandy beach. And we would just, just chill, drink some margaritas, just hang out, right? Because he's out there. He's not in here. Why would he be here? But this is so important what the psalmist is saying. The presence of trouble does not mean the absence of God. 
follow me, in your life, the presence of trouble in your life does not mean that God is absent. It does not mean you're forgotten. Because you're in a storm does not mean that God is distant or God is far or God is not there. A storm is not a sign of being out of the will of God. I mean, sometimes we make some choices. Those are called consequences. <laughs> but a storm doesn't mean you're necessarily out of the will of God. It doesn't mean you're unloved by God. It doesn't mean you're forgotten by God. A storm is a sign of, guess what? A storm. A storm is a sign, it is, it's a storm. A storm is a storm. We, we provide these deep spiritual metaphors for everything, but a storm is sometimes just a storm. And so because you're facing a storm doesn't mean you're facing it alone. And just because you're facing a storm doesn't mean you're not in the will of God. I mean, I think of the disciples all the time when, when I face storms because uh, I think of Matthew 14, right? They're following Jesus' command. There was a great crowd. Jesus looks at the disciples and goes, okay, I'm going to have you cross the lake. I'm going to have you go out onto the lake. And they're like, okay, Jesus, like, we're following you. This is new to us. We haven't been doing this for a very long time. They're only like, a, you know, two years in. <laughs> I'm going to follow you. So they get in the boat. They're like, following Jesus. This is cool. It's been a little weird, but it's pretty cool. A lot of fish, a lot of bread. And they're getting halfway across the lake, and all of a sudden a storm comes. Was the storm a sign that they were not walking in the will of God? Does a storm mean that God had forgotten them? No. Does a storm mean that God did not see them? No. A storm meant that there was a storm. Because we're told in John 16, we are promised by God in this world you will have trouble. But we're encouraged, take heart for I have overcome the world. See, oftentimes when, when people begin to follow Christ, what I'll hear all the time is like, yeah, I'm just open up to all these storms. And it's like, I've heard enough about your time before Christ to know that those storms were there. You were just less spiritually aware of what was occurring or how to handle them or how to walk through them. The storms have always been in life. But there hasn't been the security of the refuge and strength and fortress of God to put our hope and our life in. And that's what we're learning together. That's the way we're practicing together. We're walking and following Christ is to say, in the middle of my storm, in the middle of the place that I'm in, of the thing that I'm facing, and the, and the adversity and the troubles and the feels like the ground shaking, God is not distant, but he is near to me, and he is close to me, and he has overcome. Amen? And, and I like that it's not just present as in reliable, as in that like, oh, I can count on him. It's present that he is reliable and sufficient. See, God is a sufficient power. In, in, in the present help and trouble, there, there's, a, there's a root of the idea of sufficiency, that he is enough. You know, I, I love that story uh, when uh, back in the day when they released cars, they wouldn't always release the horsepower of the car. Rolls Royce when they release, and I'm going to forget. So if you're a car guy, you can remind me later and correct my story, but it will be too late because I'll all be on the podcast. Um, <laughs> But they released uh, a car, and they released the engine, and so the, the manufacturer didn't release the horsepower, so um, the car dealerships called the manufacturer and said, we need to specify horsepower because people are asking. They began to ask, and they said, the horsepower is adequate. Adequate. Now, that sounds diminutive, I think, in our current sense because of what that word has become to mean for us. But what the word adequate really means is satisfactory or acceptable in quality or quantity. What they meant was this engine is more than enough for anything that you could need to do with the car. Right, like this engine is more than enough than you could need. Now, it was only 200 horsepower, so that's a drastic overstatement. Um, <laughs> but at the time, there was a lot of torque, and it, and it worked. But it's more than enough in quality or quantity than you could ever need. It's more than anything you'll face. And adequacy, sufficiency, these are synonymous words. They function together, and they're both the root of the word that is being used here to symbolize present, is that the strength of God is more than enough in quality or quantity for the troubles that you're facing. Are you still with me? If you're still with me, say amen. Amen. The strength of God is more than enough for every storm we face. Now, it's not saying your strength. It's not saying your might. It's not saying your ability. It's not saying if you work hard enough, it will be sufficient. If you do this, it will be sufficient. It just says he is. God is sufficient. He is sufficient. 
Paul when he's wrestling with what he calls a thorn in his flesh. And there's just massive speculation about what that thorn is. Is it an illness? Is it a person? Sometimes people are thorns in our flesh, amen, um, <laughs> in our side. Uh, but whatever it is, he's wrestling and he asks God to take it away. And God says this to him, 2 Corinthians 12, 19, or 12, 9. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you satisfactory or more than enough in quality or quantity for you for my power is made perfect in weakness so Paul responds therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me see God is reliable and in my weakness he is made strong in my weakness now again it doesn't mean I am not a strong person it just means if I'm there in my field with my pitchfork and I see a massive army coming against me, I can be as strong as I want, but I'm still alone. And I can stand up for my family all that I want, but I'm still alone. But if I come into the fortress and in the security, I get the strength that comes from him. And his strength is greater than any trial. And I'm going to give you another bit of good news. You want another bit of good news? Good. Because I'm going to give it to you anyways. we got another hour and a half of this message. You know. <laughs> and you can go get burritos. No. Uh, <laughs> but the strength that he's giving you is not long off. It's within you. Follow me here. Verse, verse uh, 4 through 7 in Psalm 46. I'm going to read it to you again. Just hear and listen. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. The holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when the morning dawns. See, there's a contrast here of what's occurring. Verse 2, the oceans are raging and foaming and destroying, right? And then we jump to verse 4 and there's a peaceful stream. There's contrasting images, right, between he leads me beside still waters, right, and a contrast between that and chaos was about the earth and creation. See, there's an imagery we don't fully roll with here uh, in our context, but in the ancient Near East context, uh, waters were a symbol of chaos and death. And so when, when Christ, or when, um, I don't want to get too much into like the Trinity and creation and all that real quick, but when God hovered above the waters and had took authority over and spoke in creation, he spoke order into chaos. And the same thing is happening here in Psalm 46, which is there's chaos. Even in, even in old narratives, the old Babylonians and Assyrian gods, they had no power over the water and the chaos of the water. But God does, and he leads us beside still waters. And he says, there's a river, there's a living water, living water in the city, in the holy habitation. Right, this is him saying like in Psalm 26, oh Lord, I love the habitation of your house, the place where your glory dwells. The habitation is the temple. And so here the psalmist is speaking towards the t about the temple, the temple of God. And they love the temple of God, but you and I have received something different. And this is where it gets powerful for your daily life is that when Christ came and he died, he changed the game. When he rose again. See, when Christ died on the cross for you and I, the, the curtain in the temple was torn. The curtain that separated the holy of holies between you and I. You and I would have never gotten in to the holy of holies. When the curtain was torn because of the blood of Jesus, because of the sacrifice that was paid for our sins, we have access to God. And through his spirit, we are filled with God, and we have received God, and now we're the temple. Two scriptures, if you're taking notes, I want you to write these down. Romans 8, 9 through 11. It says this, I'll read it to you, but you can write it down for later for study. It says, you, how, you however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Um, 1 Corinthians 6.19 says this, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. 
See, God is not only with you. And get this, this is hard, this is hard to grasp. God is not only with you, God is within you. It's like, how is that possible? Because it's God. Because <laughs> it's God. Because God is God. That he has sent his spirit. See, the almighty God, through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, through as Jesus ascended, he promised another. God sent his spirit on Pentecost. Last week was Pentecost. This week is Trinity Sunday where we celebrate Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is indwelt within you. And so that means that God is nearer to you than you could ever imagine. See, what happens is in the storm we cry, God, where are you? And God says, I am within you. He says, I sent my spirit to be indwelt inside of you. And so we, we should, we, my encouragement and the encouragement of the psalmist to change the cry of our heart from not like, God, where are you? God, where are you? God, where are you? But to change the cry and say, God, reveal the depths of your presence to me right now. God, as I, as I look to you, as I rest within you, as you are within me, show me the full extent of the power and love of your presence because you're not far, you're not outside the storm, you're right here in the storm and you're right here with me. Are you still with me? And so our cry as Christians is more powerful and is more strengthened because it's not hoping that he's hearing or crying out to him who's far away. It's talking and communing with him who is within. And that it is often not God who needs to enter our storm, but us who needs to quiet our spirit and to go into ourself, into our faith, into our heart, and to rest and to, and, and to uh, resonate and to spend time with the spirit who's within you. The spirit of God is within you. And so just as we cry out, we cry in, and we say, God, make me more deeply aware of your presence. Do you know you can have a heart-to-heart -heart with Christ, especially because he's in your heart? And you can say, God, what does that look like for me? That you would show me and reveal to me your presence with me today in the middle of my storm. And I love that phrase that comes after each break, salah. It means Wait, it's an instrumental break, right? There's a lot of translations, and again, it's one of those things people love to go back and forth on. But it's this instrumental break where you would just rest in the truth. And so hear me today, rest in the truth that God is with you and that God is within you. And that anything you face, though you might feel alone, the best thing to nourish your soul is to get into the word of God, to get into prayer and say, God, reveal to me the depth of your presence in my life. Reveal that to me. Your strength will come from the quiet moment in your soul. Then there's a shift. This is the pick six. I like this because there's good defense. God is with me. God is within me. But then it's like, bang, someone picks it off, right? And in this moment, there's a shift. And not only is God with me and God is within me, but God is for me, right? If we look at, starting in verse 8, God is for us. Say that with me. God is for us. Say it with me. God is for me. One more time. God is for me. God is for me. God is for me. See, we spent the whole night in the storm. But then all of a sudden it says it's morning. And verse 8 says, come behold the works of the Lord. This is the psalmist saying, hey, we spent the whole night in the storm. We had this kind of chorus moment. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our force. Then we had this instrumental jam out. Austin hit a guitar solo. And now we're in the morning session coming out of a sweet riff, okay? So we're coming into, into the light. I mean, just in case you wanted to lay one down later, Austin, feel free. It's, it's in the name. It, that's biblical. Um, <laughs> But it says, come behold, behold the works of the Lord, right? He's saying, okay, now it's morning. Now it's offense time. Hey, come look at this, y'all. Like, see what God's going to do, right? Like, come see what the Lord's going to do. Because we were in the fortress, and we were secure, and we were in this secure place. But now we're breaking out. And now we're going on the offense. Psalm 46 says, come behold the works of the Lord, how he brought desolations on the earth. This is where the psalm gets a little metal. He says, he makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear and he burns the chariots with fire. 
See, the weapons of the world, they seem like too much for us. They seem like too much for me, if I'm being honest. The things that come against us, the lies of the enemy, the, the wars of the enemy, the wars of the soul, the things that try to come and attack your mind and attack your heart. But not only is God a defense from those things, but he goes out for us on the offense against those things. He breaks them. He crushes them. He destroys them. He pulverizes them. He wipes them away because God is victorious. See, we're not hiding in uh, the, the, the fortress because God is weak and all he has is walls. We're hiding because it nourishes our soul. But God is still victorious. He was victorious over death. He can be victorious over every situation. And so God comes out in victory now in the pick six. It's like, you know, whatever the most evil team you can think of in your mind is about to score a touchdown. And it's just a red line hole. We're just, we're just in the red zone hoping that they don't score. And then all of a sudden there's this moment where it shifts and God goes on the offense and smashes it. And I love this idea because in the Bible we see over and over again, if God is for us, who can be against us? In Romans 8, which is, I, I love Romans. If, you're, if you've been like kind of out of the practice of reading the word of God, man, jump into Romans. Just, just even pick Romans 8. It will nourish your soul. It's going to be good for you. But Romans 8, I love because Paul is explaining all these things about the spirit they've received, but also the suffering that they have received and endured at the hands of, uh, of people and situations and sickness. And then he writes what I think is probably one of the most um, inspiring responses to suffering ever written. I want to read that to you. Uh, today, and that is Romans 8. So if you have your Bible, open to Romans 8 real fast, and I want to read this uh, for you. Again, this is after explaining suffering, uh, explaining the things that he's faced. He says this, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us, how will he not also with him graciously give all things. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. Paul's writing all things that he has faced. As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We're going to read that last part. It says, nor height. Would you read it with me this morning? I want us to read this out loud together and get it into our soul. It starts with nor height. Nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing that comes against you is stronger than the Lord. Now that's not to say it might seem stronger, but to say that it is. To say that God is stronger. God is stronger. Nothing can separate you. Nothing can rip you away from the presence of the indwell God and spirit within you. There's no height, nor depth, no matter how much the ground is shaking. God has not forgotten you. God has not left you. God has not abandoned you. And that's why it says in verse 10, Psalm 46, it says, be still. You know, uh, Friday and Saturday I went on this a 24-hour silent retreat, and it was really difficult because two things I do not enjoy, sitting and silence. Um, some of you are like, yeah, I'd be in my heaven. Like, well, that was the opposite for me. Uh, <laughs> like, I, I, like digging a hole with the Lord, that's like my time, like just in the garden. But just to sit there and wait and focus my attention on him and be still, I got to admit, I honestly could not tell you the last time I was physically, mentally, like just still. 
I mean, honestly, if you think about that, when was the last time, right? Parents are like, my kids are, da, da, da. okay, so 22 years. Yeah, <laughs> it's been 22 years since I was still. I don't even know what that word means. And I think as a culture, we've gotten to this point where we're not sure what stillness means because now to be still means to kind of like sit around, to be lazy. Uh, you know, we're kind of not sure, like, does it mean to give up? What does it mean to be still? Just kind of like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to rest. And like we see stillness as weakness. We see stillness as laziness. We see stillness as like hyper spiritual or like, you know, only like monks are still. <laughs> But stillness is so important when it's understood at its core meaning. It doesn't mean to kick back and be lazy. It doesn't mean to give up. It means to stop striving alone. See, when God is saying, and, and when the psalmist is referring to here is be still, he's referring to this idea when the Israelites were in Exodus and when they were going to try to come into the promised land, God said to the Israelites, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Now, he didn't mean just sit in the desert and go to sleep. He meant you need only rather to be under your power, rather than to be striving, 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 always going, always trying to fix it, always trying to be the strength for everyone, always trying to be strong for everybody in your family, always trying to be the strength for everybody at work, always trying to be the everything for everybody. He said you need to let me be your everything. And you need to come under that authority and that rest and find that peace. It's not to be lazy. In fact, it will make you more efficient. It will make you stronger. It will make you fight better. It will make you win more is when you come out of my authority, my strength, my anxiety, and I come under the authority of the Most High God who gives me his power, his peace, and his rest. Amen. And so he says, be still. It's funny, uh, this week we were, on, we were out of town and I was trying to buy my daughter a water bottle at Dick's Sporting Goods. And I didn't realize how many things were in stores till I had a four-year-old. And apparently everything, no matter how stupid, is somehow some toy she desperately wants. So she mentally latched on to a Frisbee golf disc, which combines two things she can't do, golf or Frisbee, into one perfect impossible package for her. And yet she wanted this thing so bad. That literally, I'm trying to talk to her, and I, you know, I start off, you know, dads, you're with me. You start off, and you're like in the store. She's like, okay, I'm, I'm in good dad mode. So I'm going to start off, and I'm going to be like, hey, 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 look. At, and I'm practicing like every parent thing I'm learning. Like, hey, like, we're going to be, like, we, don't, we don't need to reach for this. Like, we're going to be good. And then, like, it gradually increases. I'm like, if you don't stop reaching for this thing, like, we're going we're gonna to get out of the store. And then we're going to go. And then, it, like, I get more. I'm like, all right. You have literally three seconds. Everyone's looking at us. They all think that I'm screaming at you. I'm trying to be cool. You're not being cool. Just stop. And the whole time she's just reaching towards this stupid Frisbee. And all I wanted to do was just take this Frisbee and just ninja huck it all the way across the, the, the Dick's Sporting Goods. Like, that's why Dad can't go back to Dick's Sporting Goods. <laughs> like, that's what you get for being un-American. And just winging it across the whole store, right? And I didn't. Now, I did end up having to pick her up, carry her out, and have, you know, a louder conversation in the hall. Uh, but there was this whole thing where I was just like, literally, if you would just stop, if you would just stop for like five seconds for this $10 Frisbee, I'm trying to buy you a $30, I mean, your mom's trying to buy you a $30 stupid Yeti water bottle. <laughs> just stop. And... And it's funny because, like, I see that in my child, and yet when I went away to this silent retreat, I came before the Lord with all of these things. And I said, God, I'm going to be silent before you, and I just pray, would you speak this to me? Because I need this, and God, I need you to speak these things to me. And I literally felt, and I literally heard the Lord say, slow down. And God told me, he said, I want you to just go and watch the sunset. I have not watched a sunset all the way through in my life. It's way too long in this hemisphere. So I sat down. I didn't know how long sunsets are. Some of you, you know, because you're romantic. And I sat down and I watched the sunset and like 10 minutes in, I'm like, these take forever. <laughs> it's literally the same thing for like 40 minutes. It takes so long to get dark out in the desert, right? It's just an eternity. And I realized that even in my stillness, I was still not under the authority of God. I was still telling him what I wanted. 
I was still telling him I was still God even as I was resting and waiting on God. God, this is the timing. God, this is the plan. God, this is the focus. God, this is the purpose. I was still reaching for this Frisbee, and I was still going for this thing. And, and again, I'm not trying to negate real, authentic need in our life. I'm just trying to speak from, from a place of, of metaphoric understanding, which is that God is speaking to us to be still under his authority. And for many of us, we're like these little militias that are trying to fight an evading army on our life all alone. And we're strong and we're tough and we're gritty because we've always had to be. We've always had to be enough. We've always had to be strong enough. And yet God is calling these little isolated pockets together under his banner, under his authority, under his might. And he's saying, listen, I'm not saying you're done fighting. I'm saying you're done fighting alone. That you come under my authority. That you come into my stillness. That you come into my fortification. And until we come under the authority of God, we won't fully experience the power of God. As long as we still strive on our own power, that's what we're going to get. But until we come under his authority in submission to him, until we realize that not only God is with me, within me, but he is for me. And I submit myself before him and I come before him daily, sometimes like every moment depending on the storm you're in. And I say, God, I submit myself to you. I give myself to you. God, I yield my heart to you. And I go, Salah. And I just wait on him. Until we do that, we'll, we'll miss the power. And yet God is saying, I want to give you the power and the freedom that comes from me being for you. When you stop striving, your strength ends, but his strength begins. And some of you, you need the release. You've done it. He's saying, good job, faithful servant. I didn't tell you that, but I, I just love your commitment to your family, that you work, that you're strong, that, that you're honoring. But like, well done. But you, you can release you can give it to me and give it to me again. I know you've given it to me before, but you can just keep giving it to me, keep releasing it to me. It's not like a fortress where it's like, well, you know, you already ran in here from the last enemy, so now you're out. You used up your tokens, and you have to stay outside of the presence of God. Like the presence of God is the most renewable resource on earth because it's a relationship with him, and he desires it. And this is the joy that I love that we see in Psalm 46 in verses 7 and verses 11. Is that God gives his people, not only does he remind them that he's with them. Not only does he remind us that he's within us. Not only does he tell us that he's for us and fighting our battles. But God has given you a battle cry. I love battle, I love battle cries. There's something about it. There's something about crying out together that's powerful. In our younger years, um, I... Uh, was really into certain um, soccer supporters, and you would scream things loudly together, and uh, it could be intimidating or joyful, but I really like the idea of a battle cry, uh, and I like the idea of, like, getting people together to shout and declare things because it, like, builds mutual faith and encouragement. And so what's cool in this scripture is that there's this battle cry that God has given. If we look at uh, 46, if you have your Bible, you'll see that breakdown in verses 4 through 6 is a chunk. And then it ends with, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And then there's Austin's guitar solo. And then it goes, verse 8, it goes, verse 8, verse 9, verse 10. And then verse 11 says, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. It's, it's twofold. God is with me, right? I have his power through me, not by, not by my strength, but by God's strength. And that God is my fortress, meaning I am secured in a God who loves me. And, and I like this. And so he, here's what I want to do. I want us to practice this together. There's this phrase, and I think I put it up as one of the slides. It says, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And so we're kind of going to say this together. This is like OG church tradition. So, some of you would be down for this. Some of you would be like, that was a little weird, but that's okay. This, I'm going to give you a battle cry today for your, in, in your trials. Does that sound okay? Does that sound okay? All right, good. Amen. Thank you, Cooper, brother. You're my, you're my brother. I love you, man. Thank you. Praise him. All right. So we're going to practice it, make sure I'm doing the right order. Okay, so are you guys ready? The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. All right, now we're going to say it 
uh, not like you are in uh, Catholic day school, but like <laughs> you actually want to win the war in, in your life, right? So this is like 12th man stuff. You can be loud. Or can we do that? Oh, okay, we'll see. <laughs> Kids is like, can we do that? Yeah. Like, all right, well, time will tell. <laughs> all, right. all right, you guys ready? All right. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. All right, that was pretty good. Let's do it one more time. The Lord of hosts is with us. Thank you, brother. I see, I love this because he says, I'm going to read this, then you're going to respond. Verse 4 through 6 says, there's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, meaning God is with you. She shall not be moved. God will help her when the morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He uttered his voice, the earth melts, and then the Lord... And so come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolation on the earth. He makes the war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear, the tools of the enemy. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And our response and declaration to the inward being of our soul, reminding the strength and power of the Lord is the Lord. That's your battle cry. It's like, in Christ, I am secure. In Christ, I am powerful. Alone, I'm not secure. Alone, I, I'm only powerful for a season. But in Christ, I'm secure. In Christ, I'm secure as a father trying to raise my daughter in a world that I don't even trust even remotely. And I'm like thinking about kindergarten. I'm thinking about things. And I'm not secure in that. And I'm thinking like somebody, she's going to be a teenager. I don't... I don't now like how teenagers dress. I can't imagine in another 10 years. And I'm thinking about my child and all these things. And it makes me feel like I'm like, I'm old and yet I, I see this. And yet I return to the security and safety that comes from God. And I go back to the battle cry. And so in the middle of facing anxiety, we declare this. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So when I'm covered with anxiety and I feel insecure, and I feel unsafe, and I feel like this isn't my place. I cry out to God, and I say, no, God, I, I am secure in you because you're with me. I'm secure in you because you're my fortress. I'm secure in you because you're my fortress. The God of Jacob, the God, you know, the God of Jacob, I, I love this phrasing because it means God of the promise. And the promise is Jesus Christ that's come from us. The God of the promise is our fortress. Some say a high fortress. And I know I skipped this, Michaela, so I'm sorry. But would you put up that picture, uh, Masada, up here for me, uh, the first one? Okay. This, some of you guys have been here. This is, when he's saying high fortress, he's saying literally here. Like, He's not like figurative, like literally this is what he's talking about. So this is uh, where David would have run, and this, a lot of things have happened here. Um, and this is what it looks like now. But this is a high fortress. You can tell by the Grand Canyon-esque of it that it is secure, not from wind or sun, but, but from enemies. Now go to the next one. This is kind of a rendering of what it would have looked like at the time. So when he's saying high fortress, saying the promise is strong. The promise is secure. The promise is faithful. You can run to the promise and be sure it's going to withstand the attack of the enemy. So they would have got this picture in their mind. I'm going to climb the mountain. I'm going to take authority. And if the enemy comes against me, I'm just going to shoot him with some arrows. Because I have the strength and the security of the Most High God. So not only is God with me, not only is God within me, not only is God for me, but he's given me the cry that says, in the middle of my storm, I am safe and I am secure. Not because of me, not because of my state of mind, but because of who God is. The Lord of all hosts, the Lord of all power is calling us into the security and safety of his presence that is a high tower and refuge. The God of Jacob, the God of the promise. God is with me. God is within me. God is for me. Would you stand as I invite the band forward this morning?
I'm going to invite you to do something special as our band plays. We're going to have a, a response time of prayer and worship. And since the command is to be still, I'm going to invite you into a moment of responsive uh, seeking of the Lord. And uh, in the church, in the early church, uh, worship was normally a response to the word. They would actually read the word first and then they would praise after and, and praise in response to what they've heard. Uh, you know, things have changed over culture. We sing first and we sing after because we just love to sing. Uh, <laughs> no, because we believe that worship's powerful. But there's something about taking intentional time in the presence of God. See, the presence of God is with you. God is always with you. He's omnipresent. But there's something about focusing the affection and intention of your heart upon him. And some of you this morning, you need to have a heart-to-heart -heart with Jesus Christ. You need to have a heart-to-heart -heart with the Lord. And this weekend I was praying and I was sitting under a bench under this, this tree. And I was just like in silence and I was praying to God. And as your honest pastor, I just like was like praying like, God, I literally don't hear anything. Everybody here is so spiritual. I don't hear anything. I'm hot and I'm miserable. And I, I just feel distant. And, and so I'm just going to wait on you. And whatever you want to speak to me, I just need you to reveal your presence to me. And some of you, you're in that moment. You might have been in that moment for a brief time or a long time, but you just need God to reveal his presence to you. And in that moment, I just, I just waited upon the Lord. And, and he said, take a step. And so I'm going to encourage you guys in a moment to take a step. And you, yours will be up here in this place. But I just came, came forward and he just said, just come before me. And I could just see in the spirit in this moment, I sat and I went and I sat down on this, this bench. And I could just picture Christ just sitting next to me. It's, and as he was sitting next to me, I expected so many things for him to say. And I expected so many things for him to speak into me or tell me or tell me this for the church or vision for these things or vision for my family and my life. And yet all he did was just come up next to me and Jana's going to be my stand in me. And he just put his arm on the side of my head. This isn't weird. I'm sorry, Jana. And he just leaned his head against me. And he just brought me into him. And this morning, I believe that God wants to have a moment of intimate connection with you to remind you that his presence, that his love, that his goodness is still with you. And I know that's different. I know like a lot of times we try to rally, come on, come up, lay it down. I, I just believe that some of you this morning, you need to have a heart to heart with God. And the heart to heart is, God, I need you to embrace me. I need you to reveal to me your presence. God, what does your presence look like in our relationship? Like actually ask him, what does it look like, God? God speaks to us in many ways. God speaks to us through his word. This is the word of God. God speaks to us through worship because our worship and our songs come from the word of God. And God speaks to us through his creation. You know, Jesus was, was created fully man, fully God. Also, others will begin to speak a word and pray over you as well. That's why we have people pray for you because we want you to encounter the presence of God. There is freedom and power in a new life in Christ, in the presence of God. And this morning, some of you are in the middle of the storm, and you just need to come forward and say, God, impress your presence upon my heart. Remind me of your love. And you need to have a heart-to-heart -heart with Christ. Would you close your eyes with me? I'm going to invite you in a moment. And I'm just going to invite you to come forward just as a step. There's something special about an instant, a step because it declares intent. Same reason you can invite a preacher to your house and get married in your living room. There's something special about when you walk the aisle to the altar and lay it down and make a commitment. The same thing's true when we take steps in our life. It shows the posture of our heart. And some of you, you desperately need for God to reveal more of his love in your life. You need to get into his presence. You need to learn to spend that time in his presence. Maybe you, you're just freaked out by that whole idea. Every time I say presence, it's weird to you. But this morning, God desperately wants to meet with you. He wants to put his arm spiritually around you and draw you into his wings. And so this morning, he's giving you an opportunity, and he's asking if you'll take a step. So my prayer for you this morning in just a second is if truly, truly you say, I, God, I need to encounter you. God, I need your presence. God, I need your love. Maybe you're, you need clarity in this storm, whatever it is. But you're like, God, I just need to meet, you, meet with you this morning in a special way. 
before I leave this place, I need to meet with you in a special way in your presence. I'm just going to invite you for one, you're going to meet with God, you need his presence. Two, you want to draw near to him. And three, you're just saying, God, I need you in the middle of my storm. I need more of you in my life. I want to experience your presence. Would you just come forward right now? We're going to pray with you. you, you need the reality of the presence of God in your life greater than ever before. This doesn't mean that you're in-depth suffering. This might just mean for you, you want to go deeper with the Lord. And you're saying, I, I want a deeper understanding of that God is within me, that God is for me. Maybe there's some things you've been struggling this week that you need to let go to Him, and you need to release to Him, and you need to say, God, I need you to just restore within me a deeper understanding of your love and your presence this morning. Reveal yourself to me. Just come on forward in this moment. We're going to stay in this moment for a second.